so good to be with you uh, today, and I've already had one great service in Warner. My sister Kayleen has joined me uh, this morning. She's come down from Townsville. Uh, for those of you that are not familiar with Townsville, it's in far north Queensland. It's, uh, so it's like quarter to 11 here, so in Washington, D.C., it's quarter to nine at night, and it's 1972 in Townsville um, <laughs> right now. So they're believing to get a phone and all sorts of things. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's cool. Uh, I think in the lobby, we brought some resource with me. Uh, I started doing some art uh, as a hobby a few years back. And my, uh, my wife's grandma studied art in New York. And she was like, you should produce that. And so we created a whole heap of cards called Inspired by Scripture. And that's out in the lobby. And so each card has a scripture on the back. And you can send that out to friends, and, and so that'll bless you. And if you can, there's a photo of me. I know that you had a photo of me earlier. Can you put that photo back up, that photo of me that you had? Is that possible? Yeah. And if you can get the cards, it'll be helpful, because as you can see, I can't afford a shirt. And I'm, I'm st <laughs> still wearing the same shirt. So I need to buy another shirt. If you could buy a couple of packs of cards, I could go down to Coles and get a shirt or two. It'd be great. And so that's also cool. And then we had the children. I went out with Alaska last night, and Joe's like, she's tiny. She's like, Joe's like, do you want to hold on? Like, no. <laughs> I'm going to snap her in half. And I have grandsons. I have two grandsons. That were put, I think I got the photos there. Maybe we can put one up. Oh, that's Luca. That's my youngest. He is about three months, I oh, know, six months old now. And, uh, and then my eldest grandson is Marcus, and he is coming there somewhere. Look at the size of those legs. He didn't miss leg day. We don't have it? You're downloading it? Somebody's drawing it? We'll do it later? I don't have the patience. Oh. He's very dark. He's been out tanning. It's a close-up close-up of him just after he got off the sunbed and uh he's just, all right we'll, we'll 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 do that later or something like that he is a very good looking child i wanted to read to you out of romans chapter 4 romans chapter 4 verse 17 romans 4 17 and this is what it says i have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the god in whom he believed who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. I want to speak on faith this morning. And we are called to live by faith. Uh, there's a story about a young boy that was on an airplane. He was reading his Bible and he got all excited and started yelling. Hey! And this old guy beside him is like, what are you excited about? He goes, well, I'm reading the bit where Moses crossed over the Red Sea. And the old man says to him, well, don't be too excited about that. It's actually not the Red Sea. It's the Reed Sea, and it's only about three inches of water. And so it's not that much of a miracle. And so the young boy just went back to reading, and he kept reading. And then a couple of moments later, he said, yeah, it's just getting all excited again. And the old man's like, what do you do? What, 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 what's wrong now? He goes, oh, it's exciting. He says, God's just drowned thousands of Egyptians in three inches of water. Don't let anybody steal your faith. 
We are called to live by faith. Let's pray. Father, stir us this morning, we pray. Holy Spirit, invade this room. I pray for those that don't know you, make yourself real to them. Those that are in church maybe for the first time, Lord God, I pray that they would connect with you today. I thank you, Lord, that your word is living and powerful and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of our heart. And so work with me today, God, that as I bring the word, change us from the inside out. Let us have ears to hear, Holy Spirit, what you're saying to us individually and personally in Jesus' name. And everyone said, so I, I talk about faith. Faith Faith is the fuel that empowers the walk of every believer. Faith is not an optional extra. It's not like, like you can take it or leave it. Faith is like the oxygen of our spirit man. As information is to our mind, faith is to our spirit man. We need to walk the walk of faith. It's, a, it's like the key ingredient in the life of every believer. Not an optional extra. It's not something that we just have, but faith is, in essence, who we are, and it's how we live. On four separate occasions, uh, God speaks about the just living by faith. Habakkuk 2, uh, Romans chapter 1, Galatians 3, Hebrews chapter 10 talks about the just shall live by faith. In Bible interpretation, the law of much mention is usually like God's highlighter pen. So if God says something multiple times, He's not saying it multiple times to impress you with His words or His vocabulary. The reason that God's saying it multiple times, it's like a, it's like a highlighter pen. And so it's like he's, he's putting a highlighter over it to say, look, this matters. I, I want you as my children to be able to ensure that you uh, engage this principle or this thing in your life. And so we need to live in faith, and faith needs to live in us. When I was in Bible college uh, up in Townsville in, uh, at Rima Bible College, uh, the, I was going to a COC church back then, going to an AOG Bible college. And so I wasn't probably the most popular student in class. In fact, I think most people didn't even think I was saved. M maybe God didn't even think I was saved. Maybe I wasn't. Um, but I was in Bible college, and, and they were preaching on faith. Dr. Cartledge was doing a whole set. And so we're all first-year students. And one thing first-year Bible college students have common across the world is we know everything and don't need to be told anything. And so... I remember Dr. Cartledge speaking on faith and all the Bible college students having these big arguments about faith uh, in the, in the smoko break. And they were totally anti the hyper-faith movement, the Kenneth Copelands and all those guys. And they would, they would get in and they would all debate on how evil all this hyper-faith movement is and how crazy it was that they just believed that you could name it and claim it and blab it and grab it. And, and so... I don't, I'm not, I don't like negativity. The best, I don't like bagging out on anybody else. It's not really how I'm wired. And so I felt this quite agitating. And so I thought I'd stir back a little bit uh, accidentally. And so I remember saying to them one day, yeah, honestly, I'm not really into the hyperfaith thing either. I think, I think hyperfaith was designed for all the doubters. Like if you're negative, if you're a doubter, you're into hyperfaith. I'm, I'm into mega faith. I'm into a dimension of faith. That's way above any of those doubting hyperfaith people. Name it and claim it, you're a loser. You know, I believe just desire it and you can acquire it, you know. <laughs> but I never forget Pastor Mari Cartledge, and uh, in, she, she got up and she'd heard all this debate 
on faith and she looked at the class and she said, you young people, she put her glasses down on the end of her nose and she, like, she was like Jesus, had eyes like flames of fire and she just beaming out on everybody and she made this comment. She says, you, you young people think you have faith but you've never had faith until you've had teenagers. <laughs> Life tests our faith and, and that, that, that the testing of our faith is what produces endurance and I, I love, for me anyway, as a leader, all my, all my Christian life have been inspired by men and women of faith. When I first got saved, I had people that taught me faith for finance. I had people that taught me faith for healing. I mean, all sorts of levels of, of faith. And uh, when Paul was writing the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 11, it lists out what we would call the heroes of faith. The thing I love about that chapter is when it ends, it doesn't end. He says, all these great men and women of faith are incomplete without you and I running our race. This is our moment. This is our season. This is our time. And so he used these heroes of faith to inspire the people of faith to live in faith. One of those heroes of faith was Abraham. He spoke a lot about Abraham, and, and Paul spoke about him in Hebrews and in the book of Romans. And in Romans chapter 4, verse 17, this is what it says. He said, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed, against hope, that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. What's Paul saying? He said, when it seemed impossible, when it was beyond comprehension, where everything in his life said what God said was going to happen can never happen because every circumstance, inclusive your age, is against you. The Bible says that despite the odds and despite the circumstances and despite all the negative people that were probably telling him it would never happen, somewhere in Abraham's life, the spark of faith lit up and he said, you know what? God is going to do what God said he was going to do. It may not look like he can do it. It may not sound like he can do it. There may be nothing in favor of him doing it, but I believe that my God can do what every circumstance is screaming at me that it can't be done. And I believe that God's speaking to somebody today because that's you. When you look at your life, you look at your circumstances, you look at your situation, everything about that situation is screaming at you, impossible. Can't happen, won't happen, done, over. You might as well just forget about it, pack it and go away. And God's saying, no, I want you to stir your faith up in you again. I want you to be a man of faith. I want you to be a woman of faith. I want you to reach out and believe God by faith. So I'm going to talk a little bit about where faith lives. There are going to be two parts today, this morning, and I want to come back tonight. And so if you can come tonight, it would be awesome. Uh, and do the second part tonight. Today's message is horrible. Tonight's really good. 
tonight. Tonight's really good. But, um, but I want to talk a little bit about faith, where faith lives. Uh, here's the first thing. Faith lives in a go. Faith lives in a go. Abraham is 75 years of age when God spoke to him the first time. And God said to him, go. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So faith lives in a go. There's, there's got to be an action. Faith is not just a thought. Faith is a step. Faith is a commitment. And the go is our bit. So God says, I want you to go. I want you to, to step out. I want you to leave your father's house. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your country. I want you to step out of everything that is comfortable for you. I would suggest, ladies, that if you're dating a guy and he is 75 and still living at his father's house, not a good sign. Just throwing that out there. Maybe, maybe not a good sign. Look for somebody else. Uh, but that's what faith is. Faith is all about stepping out from everything that is comfortable. That's our bit. Faith is a step of faith. The show is God's bit. God says, you go and then I will show. But you don't get the show before the go. You have to do the go first and then God will show you. First time I went uh, to New, well, I've been in New Zealand before, but I went to plant a church there in Auckland and we'd flown in uh, a few months earlier before going over and moving and I was with a pastor friend of mine got in the, the car at Auckland Airport. He said, you drive, drive us to the hotel. Well, I didn't know where we were going. And so I said, where are we going? He said, we're going to the hotel. I said, okay, so uh, I'm, will you give me directions? He said, no, I'll just tell you when you're going the wrong way. <laughs> and I'd come to a light, I'd turn left, I'd go halfway down that road, you're like, yeah, you're going the wrong way. I'd have to do a Yui and come back and turn the other way. Like a 15-minute drive, took like an hour. But, that's what, but this is sort of where God's at. God's like, I want you to step out and have a go. And as you step out and have a go, I'm going to show you. I, I'll reveal to you when you're going where you're going. And we don't generally get the go, I mean the show without the go. Why? Because God's into visions, God's into dreams, God's into prophecy, but rarely into detail. Like He'll give you a vision of where you're going to go, and you're like, Yes, but he won't give you, he just very, very brief on the detail. And I think the reason that he doesn't give the detail, because if he gave us the detail, we'd never get the go. He'd be like, yeah, I, well, I don't think so. Here I am, Lord, send him. Like, like I really think that look at somebody with red hair and a mustache, really, when you think about it, send, send, send him. Oh, you think about Mary, the mother of Jesus. Like, she gets a visitation from the angel Gabriel. She's 16. She's a teenager. She gets a visitation from the angel Gabriel. It's not even like a cherubim or a seraphim. This is an archangel in her house. Talks to her, Mary. And, and, like, and, and then gives her this unbelievable uh, outline of what her son is going to do. King of kings, Lord of lords. Kingdom will have no end. Uh, that is pretty good. Like my mom would have been happy if an uh, angel had turned up at her house and said, look, your son's going to pass fifth grade. Like that, that would have been a win for our family. But she gets this angel coming in saying, this is all your son's going to be. How many of you know that's a great day? That, 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 that's, that's a great vision. That's a great dream. But the angel sort of left out the cross. Like he left out, oh yeah, by the way, Mary, for this to happen, 
Son's going to be taken captive. He's going to be beaten to a pulp. He's going to be scourged within inches of his life. They're going to rip out fistfuls of his beard. They're going to spit on him. They put a crown of thorns in his head. You're going to watch them nail him to a cross, you know, and as, a, as a criminal. And you're going to watch the life drain out of his body. He's going to, he's going to die. And that's got to happen for the rest to happen. Now we go, oh, well, but we know he rose from the dead. Yeah, but he rose from the dead. And then what happened? He ascended into heaven. He still left. He still was gone. See, like, like, like in the 40s, late 40s, and the son's gone. I, I, where was that in the original? Now, all that needed to happen for the prophecy to come to pass, and God gave vision, but gave very, very little detail. Same with Joseph. Joseph, 17, has this incredible dream of how amazing he's going to be one day, but God sort of left out all the details of what was going to happen. Why? Because sometimes if we got the details, we wouldn't take the journey, and if we didn't take the journey, we wouldn't get the result. But if God called us, you've got what it takes to get through to the other side, no matter what life throws at you. And then the go creates the, the mo, it creates the momentum. Each moment of faith creates momentum. And the more momentum you can create in your faith, the greater and the funner, uh, the, the, the greater and the better, funner, that's not even a word, the greater and the better the journey is going to be. Romans chapter 1 verse 17 says, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. From faith for faith or to faith. Each faith step that you take creates faith momentum. And so you don't always start out big. You start out small. I remember the first thing I was believing God for was a chef's uniform. I, I, I moved to a new city and I was a brand new Christian and I'd spent all my money getting to that city, didn't have a lot of money. And I was, I was, uh, I was tithing about a dollar a week I didn't have any cash, so I'm tithing a dollar a week, and I got down to this, when I got this job, and I needed to buy a new chef's jacket, and I didn't have any money, but I had $10, and uh, I felt God say, put the whole $10 in the offering, and I'm like, God, you're crazy, I only got $10, I need a $100 chef's jacket, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, give it all away, and so I invested my first $10, and I wasn't, uh, I was a new Christian, Gave it, and then as I was coming out of church that day, this old guy came up to me, and he said, hey, I, God spoke to me in the worship, and he told me to give you this, and handed me $100. It was enough to buy my first chef's jacket. And so I started up believing for $10, and now the church and the school that I run in Washington, D.C. is like a multi-million dollar budget. You've got to start at $10 before you get to the millions of dollars. It's a faith journey, and every step of faith takes you further and further on. It's like, it's like Elijah. Elijah's in the middle of nowhere. No one knows who he is. And he steps out of obscurity and steps into Ahab's kingdom. Now, Ahab was the seventh king of the northern kingdom, evil. Like, like Jeroboam is like the benchmark of bad kings. And uh, instead of Ahab, that he considered the sins of Jeroboam as trivial. Like he's like, he's not a bad, he's like almost a nice guy. Like his, his, that, he was the benchmark. If, if I, I, he's like, he is, Ahab is so evil, he marries this woman called Jezebel. Now, if you're new to church, probably don't know who the heck Jezebel is, but she's prob like, like probably the single worst thing you can call a Christian woman is a Jezebel. 
Like just to give you, like you could call her a poo-poo head. So like down here is zero. Satan, call her, hey, Satan is here. Jezebel, way over here. It's like, and you know it's pretty bad when that's still thousands of years later. So he marries this really bad woman, and he's a very evil king. And Ahab, uh, sorry, Elijah steps out of obscurity into the king's court and says, no dew nor rain until I say so. There's going to be a drought, prophesized drought, and it happens. And then he goes to the brook Cherith, and God supplies there. Then he goes to the widow's house at Zarephath, and God supplies for him and the widow and her son. Then her son dies, and he raises him from the dead. And then he goes up on the mountain, and single-handedly, he calls down fire from heaven, executes the prophets of Baal. He's got so much faith momentum that the Bible says he outruns Ahab's chariot to Jezreel, a 70-mile journey and he runs faster than the king's chariot being drawn by horses. That's a miracle. That's a miracle that happens when you've got faith momentum. When you've got faith momentum. How many of you know momentum makes everything easier? God created momentum to make everything. We walk, unless you've got a, an injury, we walk and we create momentum. And you don't even think about it. You're walking in here, you don't think about it. Why? Because your legs create momentum. But if you take the momentum out, it gets exhausting. Just try to walk without momentum. Take a step, stop, step back, take three steps fast, two step, step, step. Like, you just try to walk without momentum. You would do it for about two minutes and like, yeah, I'm done with that illustration move on. Some of you think of that, and I'm doing the walking, you're already thinking that in your own, because momentum makes it, and that's what happens in faith. Momentum makes everything easier, and you've got to learn to be able to build one thing after the other. Faith lives in a go. Faith also lives in a look. Abraham was 80 years old when God spoke to him a second time, and God pretty much said, said to him, look. In Genesis chapter 13, verse 14, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are northward and southward and eastward and westward. I want you to look. I want you to look through the eye of faith. Abraham had a nephew, Lot, and they were incredibly successful. They had so much blessing that they couldn't even live together. They were, they were outgrowing the room for each other. And so Abram said to Lot, he said, look, stand up on the valley and on the mountain and look out. If you take the land to the left, uh, I'll take the land to the right. If you choose the land to the right, I'll take the land to the left. Abram was like, it doesn't really matter what direction we go. I know God's going to bless me. So you can make the call, but I know whatever I get, God's going to bless me. Totally confident. And so Lot got out and he looked at the lot on the left. And when he looked at the lot on the left, he saw that it was well irrigated, well watered, had been developed. A lot had been done on that lot. When he looked on the lot on the right, nothing had been done. And there's a lot of work to be done on the lot on the right. And so he thought, if I take the lot on the left where a lot of work's already been done, I'm going to have a lot of time to all the things that I want to do, and that's a lot. But if I take the lot on the right, uh, there's so much there that I'll have no time to do the things I want. And I've got a lot of things I want to do, so I'm going to take the lot with the lot rather than the lot without the lot. And so that's the way they went. And then so Abraham gets up and looks at nothing. And God says to him, I want you to see everything. I, I, I want you to see to the north and the west and the south and the east. I want you to see abundant. I want you to look at it through the eye of faith. 
The eye of faith is where we uh, get the blessing of God. You see it in your spirit and you already call it as being done. Faith is a decision to trust God when the easy option looks the best. Faith is the decision to trust God that if God said it, it's going to happen. Someone's always going to try to talk you out of the faith journey. I was a fairly new Christian. I'd had this job as a chef, only been working for a couple of years and felt the call of God to ministry. And I didn't know what that looked like. I had, all I had felt like God was going to call me to be in ministry. And I was in a small church at that part, maybe a church like 70 people on a really good day. And so I, I didn't know what ministry looked like, but I knew God, felt that call of God. And so I went to my boss, to Paul, and I said to him, hey, I really feel like God's called me to go back to Australia and to go into ministry. And he wasn't a Christian. He said, that's dumb. Don't do that. He said, this is what I want to do, because I was making a lot of money. Uh, he said, well, I'm going to buy a ski chalet in Queenstown, 50 people, and I want you to run the ski chalet, manage it, cook, host people there. If you'll work for me in that ski chalet for five years, at the end of five years, I'll gift it to you. I'll set you up financially for life. And I looked at him and I said, well, I don't really feel God called me to be a owner of a ski chalet. He's called me to be in ministry. And so thank you. I, I really appreciate it. But no, I'm not going to do it. And he said, listen, you're going to go away and find out that God's not real. He said, so in five years' time or whatever, when you find out God's not real, you come back and tell me I'll give you a job. And I said, in five years' time when you get saved, uh, you can tithe into my ministry. <laughs> I was like 22. You know, it's like, <laughs> but what is that? It's like, is you're going to take the God route where you don't really know and you don't really, or take the secure route. Sometimes God is going to call us to look through the eye of faith. God's speaking to Abraham here to look, and he still has no son. He still has no promise. Nothing that God said has happened to him yet. Faith requires that we take a leap of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It is assurance and it is conviction. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen is not made out of things that are visible. So it says the eye of faith looks into the invisible realm and it reaches into the invisible and it brings it into reality. So people are going to tell you God is a figment of your imagination. Nay, nay. We are the figment of God's imagination. We didn't imagine God into being. God imagined us. God imagined the planet. God imagined us. He called out us. God, the spirit realm, is more real than our realm. We think our realm is more real because we live in it. But God's realm is more real. That's where faith exists. It exists in the invisible. And so faith reaches into the invisible and draws it into our reality. That's where faith is at. Faith and fear operate the same way. Fear reaches into what's not there and brings the invisible into your reality. Faith brings the invisible into your reality. One is positive and one is negative. When Job's world fell apart, what did he say? When Job, who was successful, who was prosperous, who was blessed, when everything hit the fan, 
What did he say? He said, the thing that I feared most has come upon me. Now, we don't have this in Scripture, but it's almost like Job was walking around going, it's too good. I got to, something bad's got to happen. I got to get too much money. My kids are doing too great. My life is too blessed. I don't, I don't know if I, you know. And then the thing that I feared most, the thing that he feared, he pulled it out of the invisible and brought it into his reality. So faith is how you look at life. Some people see the glass half full. Some people see the glass half empty. But faith sees the glass overflowing and calls for buckets. Like that glass is not going to be able to handle it. It's going to overflow. You need to get some buckets. Start tipping the glass. In. That's, how faith, that's how faith sees it. And so we are called not to be half full or half empty people. We are called to be faith people where we see it pressed down, shaken together and running out. With the 12 spies going to the promised land, 10 of them couldn't see the fruit because of the size of the giants and the other two couldn't see the giants because of the size of the fruit. It's all about having the eye of faith. Faith also lives in account. This poor guy, is that me walking? I know all the ADD people in the room have been thinking about that guy walking up the hill. You know you've got ADD when you distract yourself. That looks like me. Oh, you've got the hair and the glasses and everything. I don't own those shoes, so it's not me. It's an impersonator. Faith lives in account. Abraham is 85 years of age when God speaks to him the third time and God says to him, count. Now, in this time, uh, we're, we're a decade on from the promise and Abraham's like, okay, I know God spoke to me about being the father of many nations, but nothing's happening. I don't have any kids. So it looks like it's impossible. So he says, Eliezer from Damascus is my servant and maybe... Maybe God's going to use him because he's trying to work it out in his own head. In verse 4 of chapter 15, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars. If you're able to count them or number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So he's like trying to work it out, and maybe this is the guy. God's like, no, that's not going to be the guy. Come outside, look up at the stars, and I want you to start counting. That's going to be your descendants. Can you imagine? You've got nothing. You have nobody. You have nothing. You're 10 years on from when you originally got the promise, and it looks worse now than it was at the beginning. At the beginning, you didn't think it was going to be possible. At the beginning, everyone thought you were crazy. Now you're a decade on. Now they think you're super crazy and you're still believing that God's going to do what God told you to do. You stepped out of your comfort zone. You stepped out of your father's house. You took the risk and now 10 years on, nothing's happening. And, and you're trying to work it out in your own head. And God says to him, no, listen, go outside and count the stuff. That right up there, this is what's going to happen out of you. While you've got nothing, God's telling you to count something that you can't even contain. In Hebrews chapter 6, he says, We desire each one of you to show the same earnestness, to have the full assurance of the hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. So God says, listen, 
Just don't get lazy. Don't, don't quit. Don't get sluggish. Don't give up hope. This is what I want you to do, Abram. I want you, I know nothing's happening, but don't, don't lose your faith. Go outside and try to count the stars. Because if you can look up and you can count, every now and then as a child of God, you've got to sit back and you've got to count the blessings of God. If you want to keep your faith up, you've got to be able to call on and identify the blessings of God. In verse 15 of chapter 6 of Hebrews, it says, Abraham patiently waited and obtained the promise. He patiently waited and he obtained the promise. I hate that scripture. I am not the patiently waiting Anybody, anybody like that, like, I hate lines. I hate lines. Remember the first time I took my wife out on a date, went to the first restaurant. I didn't think to book a table. <laughs> Fail. Yeah. Should have been her sign right there. And so I went to the first restaurant. I'm like, hey, want to get a table for two? The guy's like, that's a 35-minute wait. I'm like, nah. And so I went... We tried, we tried like five restaurants, 35 here. We walked around for an hour and a half <laughs> and ended up eating at like Panda Express or some like takeaway place. And it was a fail. But uh, I, I hate lies. So patience, like waiting patiently. Abraham, having patiently waited, had obtained the promise. When, when, it, when it's not happening, when you, when you can't see it, you you got to learn how to how to count how to count your blessings, and and I think one of the things that sustained me in the ups and downs of ministry is the ability to find God's blessing where it doesn't seem like it exists. I, I I've been at dinner with people. A perfect example. Just uh, I live in Washington D.C. now, and one of the guys in our church got promoted to be uh, a lieutenant, and he works for General Brown. And General Brown is the number one guy in the United States Air Force. He is the guy slated to be the leader of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. And so he's a big wig. And because he work, Ben works for General Brown, we got to go to the, hero, the Hall of Heroes in the Pentagon. And so here I am. I got to do a prayer. It's 32 seconds. I had to write it out. 32, most intimidating, 32 seconds of prayer in my life. I've never, I'm not normally scared of praying. I... A leg. You know, it was just like, it wasn't good. I was like totally intimidated. So here I am in the Pentagon, sitting behind General Brown, and, and, and all this, they have a band playing. And as I'm sitting there in the Pentagon, I'm thinking to myself, how do I, how do I go from Townsville, North Queensland, to here? I'm in the Pentagon. If Mr. Smith, my grade five teacher, who clipped me across the back of the head and said, you'll never make it to be anything in life, could see me now. I'd like to go and find him. He must be 105 somewhere. And like, eh, in the Pentagon, bro. You're at the Royal Oak Pub. You know, it's like. But, but, but to me, to other, like, like, that may be nothing, but to me it's like, God, you're so, I don't, I don't know how uh, my wife Anna and I just got invited in, in January uh, to go to Ghana and be there for the uh, induction of the new superintendent of the Assembly of God, Dr. Wangham. And it was, a, it was the longest service. You think this is a long service? That service went for five hours. Oh, it's brutal. 
I, I did it without Ritalin. And it's like, I'm thinking five hours in a I'm, and I And I did it without causing any trouble, that, which is a miracle of Jesus. And five, but again, we're sitting there, we're shaking hands with the previous president of Ghana, the chief uh, justice of the Supreme Court Justice was there in that we get to meet. And I'm, again, I'm like, God, I come from town. This is my, you got to learn how to count the blessings. If you can see the blessings where God's blessing you, then God can give you more blessings. I train my daughters like that. When Shreya was like six and Brooke was like five, I, I, I took them to Disneyland in Los Angeles. And I remember we came through the, the, the gates of Disneyland. I said to the girls, okay, girls, you know where we're at? Yeah, we're at Disneyland. Yeah, that's right. You know why we're here? And they're like, because you bought a ticket. I'm like, yeah, okay. It's accurate. But, but do you know why we're here? And they're like, because you wanted to go to Disneyland. Yeah, again, two out of two, doing good, but not really what I'm looking for. Do you know why we're here? And they're just like, no. And I said, because you're pastors, kids. Because dad's in ministry, this is God's blessing on our life. And I'm pretty sure if I was chefing, I probably wouldn't be here today. I see this as the blessing of God. Now, nothing wrong with being a chef, but for me, being obedient to the call of God. So being obedient to the call of God and walking in the call of God. And that we are here today because dad is your pastor and you are pastor's kids. Do you love being pastor's kids? They're like, we love being pastor's So I made them run through Disney. I love being a pastor's kid. What was I, what was I doing? I was training them, find the blessing. Find the blessing. There were thousands of people at Disneyland. We weren't the only ones there, but we were there because of God's blessing. And you've got to find the blessing. Wherever it is, you've got to look for it. When I, uh, there's a lady in Sydney, and I remember talking to her years ago, and she'd had like four sons or five sons. I can't remember the number. One of, three of them were serving God, and one was nowhere near God. And I remember her talking to me one day, and I was just a young leader, a young Christian, and she said, uh, she said, there's nothing in my sons that I like. And she said, I found it hard to pray for him. I, I knew I should, and I, I wanted to, but when I went to pray for him, there was nothing in his life that made me want to pray for him. There's nothing I liked in my son. And so I asked God, you've got to help me. And God said, find the one thing that you can like. Just find one thing. Look for one thing that you can focus on. Forget everything else. Just fo and she said, he has beautiful eyes. That was the only thing. She looked at her son, and when she looked at his life, the only thing that she could identify was he has beautiful eyes. And that's how she started to pray. He has got beautiful, and he'd come into the house, and rather than treat him harshly, she'd look it into his eyes and she'd think, my son has beautiful eyes. And she said, it started to change me. And then as I started to pray, and I, I started to see other things, and I started to see other things, then God added, and slowly but surely, things changed with her, things changed with him, and he got saved and started serving God. And everything started out of somebody looking for the one thing that she couldn't see, and she said that he had beautiful eyes. So we wait patiently, count the stars. Sometimes not just counting all the stars, count one star, find a star, find something, half a star, find something that you could look at and go, okay, I, I'm not seeing all of this, but God, I see you blessing me here and I'm going to praise you, I'm going to worship you, I'm going to honor you, I'm going to celebrate you, I'm going to count my blessings. There was an old hymn that says this, it says, when upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost. Count your many blessings. 
Name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Are you ever burdened with a load of care? Does the cross seem heavy you are called to bear? Count your many blessings, and every doubt will fly, and you will keep on singing as the days go by. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Sometimes you've got to pray, and you've got to wait, and you've got to be patient. My wife Anna and I, we prayed for over 10 years about pastoring. She was in ministry. She was an executive pastor in a great church in Chicago. I was in ministering. I was traveling, itinerating. Joe talked a little bit about me coming here, working with him. And I was working with leaders like Joe all over the world. To his credit, uh, he's probably one of the only ones that actually listened. And God brought blessing into his life, uh, which was always a joy um, to be with, with Joe and, and the team here at Emerge. But, um, but I was doing my thing. She was doing her. Th- but we always felt like God was going to get us to do something together. And we prayed for over 10 years. Over 10 years, staying in faith, believing in faith, and, and my confidence in faith is that God would do what God said He was going to do. And eventually, God opened up the door, and everything that we'd been praying for, we could itemize it out, prophetic words that were there, things that we'd pray for. We didn't want to go to the Bible Belt. We wanted to go to a multicultural church. We didn't want to go somewhere easy. I believe that God wanted to give me a building. And everything that we'd prayed for, God had done after praying for 10 years. How how do you keep enduring? Because you just know. God told us we're going to do it. We're going to do it. And if a door closes, you know a brand new door of opportunity is going to open up. So I don't know what you're believing for today, but I want to stir your faith to believe again. Maybe it's a partner that's not walking with God. Maybe it's a son or a daughter that's far away from God. Maybe you're needing to get a job back and you lost your job or you're needing finance to come back into your world or you're needing breakthrough in some area. I want to pray the prayer of faith over you today and believe God to do miracle signs and wonders and to do in you what God said He was going to do. If you believe that, why don't you stand to your feet and give the Lord a great round of applause right now. Band can come. Come on, let's, 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 come on, let's honor God with a. Joe, you can come. You can come. Let me pray for you. Let's just lay, lay hands to the Lord right now. And one hand if you want, two hands if you want. If that's not comfortable, then just open your heart to God. But let me pray for you right now. Father, I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you, God, that you didn't call us to mock us. You didn't give us a vision to make fun of us or to entertain yourself. But if you said it, we know it's going to happen. There are many here in this room today that have not seen what you told them was going to happen. There are many here today that are believing for a breakthrough, and they're yet to see the breakthrough. But God, we believe that this morning is a divine appointment that you're speaking into the fabric of their spirit to bring a supernatural resurrection of faith, to stir them again, to get back and to pray and look at things that are not. Lord, there's somebody in the room today and they're not looking at something that is not. They're looking at something that seems impossible. 
They're looking at something that absolutely seems like time is over, time is done, this can't happen. Inside their spirit, they want to believe, but something has quit. And I pray today, God, that you would stir up their faith in Jesus' name. You would stir up their faith in Jesus' name, and they'd rise up again, and God, they would go down believing. Lord God, they dare to believe that you would do what you said you would do. And Lord God, we call miracles in the house today. We call healing in the house today. We call financial breakthrough in the house today. We pray liberty. In the, we pray marriages to be restored, relationships to be restored, children to be in the house of God worshiping you, parents to be in the house of God worshiping you. Lord God, we believe for miracle signs and wonders. Lord, we pray for those whose businesses are still struggling from the downturn business people that are still believing, Lord God, for a breakthrough. They had great blessing at one time, but now they're struggling. Lord God, I pray that the curse of poverty be broken in the name of Jesus and the doors of opportunity would be opened up, Lord God, and there'd be a miracle supplier. There'd be a miracle contact. There'd be a miracle breakthrough that would happen and release, Lord God, that spirit of poverty to be broken over that business in Jesus' name. Lord, pray, we pray, God, that you would move in, in power over the faith that's in this room. Pray this prayer with me. Say this out loud. Say, dear Jesus, I've heard your message today. Stir me up on the inside. I want to live in faith. I want to please you. I want to believe for the things that you put in my spirit. So today, I stir up the gift of faith. I stir up the spirit of faith. I declare over my life, I am a child of faith, pleasing you, loving you, and expecting you to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond anything I could hope for or dare to imagine. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you this morning.